What's next? Welcome to another episode of What's Next. The purpose of this show is to talk about exactly that. What is next? What comes after? Tragedy, love, anxiety, risks? You fill in the blank. I will cover topics I've experienced. I'll have guests speak about their situations. And hopefully you as a listener will also send in your topic requests. And together we will find out what's next. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is you're listening. We have a special two-part series for you. Um, We're going to title this one Surviving Death. This is going to be with specialist J.P. Lane. In this series, he will tell about uh, his life growing up, his challenges, his choice to join the military, going to war, losing his legs and more in combat, and his life after. This is a series that you don't want to miss out on. So hang on as we find out what's next for J.P. Lane. Well, welcome to another episode of What's Next. <laughs> um, this episode we've been talking about, you guys have probably seen the videos out there, been advertising for it, and um, bringing on uh, specialist J.P. Lane. I never call him that officially like that, but yeah. it needs to be official. That's interesting, right? On the podcast, but yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> specialist J.P. Lane, uh, Purple Heart recipient. Um, uh, let's talk about all his accolades, all the things that he did, but... A lot of times people lead out with double amputee, and that's part of his story, but that's not who he is, doesn't define him necessarily. Um, so I didn't want to start off saying that, because um, it definitely doesn't define who he is. And if you know him, you'd know that to be true. Um, but this episode, um, Dre actually had a family emergency, um, our co-host. So Dre's going to miss this one. He says that he's sorry he couldn't be with us, um, really wishes he could. Plans to be back next week um, on the following episode, so he will be missed tonight. Um, but uh, we do have uh, JP Lane with us, and along with JP is Crystal. Thank so you. you guys can say hello or whatever. <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> so they are in studio. That way, you guys know that I'm not lying and I didn't make them up or do voiceovers. <laughs> <laughs> These are real people that actually came to be my guests. Yeah. Um, so, but no, JP and I know each other. Um, we've done a lot and we'll talk more about that as well. We've, uh, been involved with, um, uh, music and a bunch of other things, all good things. Yeah. Uh, like four <laughs> years, I think. Four, yeah. It's yeah. Four, quite a few. Yeah. Quite a few years. Um, so, um, good and bad experiences. <laughs> we've been up and down for sure. <laughs> that That's for, for certain. That's part of life though. That is part of life. Yeah. Um, but just so you guys know, I am still dealing with that cough. It's getting better. I can talk a little more now. Um, so, um, and I don't have Dre to lean on this episode, so I got to carry it home. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. So I do apologize in advance. Um, so we will give out all of JP's information towards the end, the social media, all of those things. Um, we will have it available on our social media pages. So if you're interested after the episode, please stick around till the end so you can hear that. Um, also, uh, we'll kind of go through his story and, um, and so we'll get to know uh, JP on a more personal level. 
So we'll be talking about different things that um, you've been through. Um, and so kind of wanted to go back over your story and just um, kind of start back from the beginning. And I know I've heard your story and there's even some things that I realized I didn't know uh, about you. And so just kind of wanted to um, go back and then give people an opportunity to maybe know things about you that they didn't. Um, if ever we get to a point where there's something I ask where you feel like it's too painful or too personal or you just don't want to share it at this time, you won't offend me, that's okay. You can say, hey, I'd, you know, or just answer briefly however you want to handle that. Yeah, no um, That's fine. Um, so, you know, um, so we'll kind of we'll kind of go through this. Um, but uh, just so you guys know ahead of time, just as a disclaimer, you know, again, I said JP and I do know each other pretty well. Um, so we, we kind of joke about things, but, um, but I appreciate his service and, and everything that, that, that he's done. So, thank you. So first thing, um, is one to talk about is life before military. So I just want to ask you like, how, how was your, and and guys, we're going to kind of build up, but how was your life growing up? Yeah. So I was born and then, uh, (laughs) from, yeah, from there it was just exciting. (laughs) And, um, so Born 1988, then obviously growing up as a child, my parents were divorced, so that was a little difficult um, as most people who have gone through that kind of situation uh, understand that as a child growing up in a broken family, it's pretty difficult to um, keep moving forward in a positive manner, but when you have two people talking into each ear and things going on, you know, it's just crazy, but... Um, I did my best going through that those years, um, elementary, middle school. I grew up pretty much just enjoying life and doing the best that I could to ignore what was going on at home. And when I was at school and hanging out with friends, I was just always having a good time. So, uh, people got to, the kids got to know who I was and just enjoy life together. And then, uh, it wasn't until eighth grade, I was all up until eighth grade, I was living with my mom, my biological mom. Okay. And in eighth grade, right before eighth grade uh, year started, my dad was actually able to uh, get custody of myself and my little brother. And he brought us to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And everything changed from that um, point on. The momentum, the direction of my life started to change. In fact, it was super funny because the 10-hour drive from Ohio, I believe it was in Columbus, Ohio, to Green Bay, Wisconsin, my dad was already fed up with us in that 10 hours. <laughs> he was probably regretting bringing us home to live with him. Stop taking for, you back. Yeah, it's like, uh, we can't. We don't have the receipt for these kids. Like I kind of have to keep them now. What did I do? Yeah, yeah. so it was so funny, though, because... Uh, we were talking about earlier because this part of my story is also in my book and he was saying that he was so ready to get rid of us he dropped us off the when we got home to green bay he literally dropped us off at a church camp at for the weekend like it just went straight from 10 hour drive to all right jesus take the wheel like we're tired i'm tired of these kids I already need a break. <laughs> so, it was uh, super funny, but that um, was definitely the start of so many things. Uh, for example, that's where the seed was planted to know who God was and all of that. So that was obviously a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and the funny thing my dad told me was 
He's like, I knew you guys were going to need Jesus, so I, I dropped you off there on purpose. I'm like, okay, Dad. So, um, yeah, it was crazy. And then eighth grade was just a crazy year. Um, it was 2001, so everybody knows what happened in 2001 yes. uh, when the Twin Towers fell. So so did you, um, and that's that's a good segue to something else I want to ask you about, and I'm guessing that's going to be your answer. Um, so we talked about, I was going to ask you, you know, when you, when you left, um, I'll try to see if I can spin this back around, but when you left from in that 10 hour drive and you were going and you were living with your mom growing up, did you, both sides, like, you know, leaving your mom and, in and all that situation, did you have like a lot of friends that you grew up with that you knew like your whole life that were like your best buddies? Did, did you have a lot of friends you had to say goodbye to as well? Like, did you have to? Yeah. But I, I mean, in my mind it was, uh, yeah, I'll be leaving a lot of friends and going to an unknown place, but at the same time, I was, uh, I was just really wanting to live with my dad. So, so it was like a good trade. Yeah, were, it was a good trade off, and honestly, um, I knew that I was a pretty friendly guy anyway, so I would be able to make new friends, yeah. uh, no problem. So, and that's that's ended that ended so, up what exactly actually what happened. So I, yeah. I got you. So before the twin towers. Um, like when you were young, when you were, I guess, a, a young boy, J.P. Lane, <laughs> full of wonder <laughs> and, a, and amazement. Was there anything then that you were like, when I grow up, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to be. Like as as a young boy, yeah. did you have like some like dreams? I mean, oh, I know of course. we all do, but what, what did you kind of see yourself? Like this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. Rock star. A rock star. Yeah. Like I the was... long hair. And the... <laughs> no, no, no. Not that kind of rock star. Like <laughs> not, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> no, I literally, I was a drummer growing up. Okay. So I like to make loud noises and and hit all the drums that I could possibly hit. You're annoying everybody. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. My dad had me keep the drum set in the garage. Like, that's... <laughs> that but, sounds horrible. But <laughs> I know it was hot in there. No. Oh, uh, it was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, so actually I froze to death while oh, playing. Yeah, it, was <laughs> it was not hot uh, at all. Oh, um, but I music runs in my blood. It runs in my family. So uh, needless to say, God definitely put that passion in my soul. So and, as young... Man. Yeah, so um, learning any instrument that I do decide to pick up is actually uh, very fun and easy for me. And so uh, playing the drums, I actually learned uh, very quickly and, and continued with it. Uh, so I ended up being the drummer for a couple bands during high school and also um, uh, the church band as well and different things. And I really saw my career... Uh, growing up, I thought I was going to be a drummer for a big-time band, and that was my dreams growing up as a young, young man, kid. Young man. Yeah, okay. and then, but so. every little thing happens to to steer us away from our dreams because a lot of the times we don't realize God has something what bigger planned. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes like, why did he do this to me? Yeah. Yeah, and he ultimately knows. I just wish he would just uh, come out and tell us. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be so much easier? Oh, yeah. That's like handing us the lottery tickets. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be not going to nice happen. He'd fill in the blanks. But mm -hmm. yeah, so so that's your you know life before military. Yeah. And I want to kind of talk about life in the military or leading up to it. 
Um, and you kind of already may have hinted on this, see if I'm right. Um, but uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you is why you joined the military. I know you said in 2011 you were in school. Well, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or... 2001. What did I say? 2011. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You're, for you're fast forwarding. You're so excited <laughs> about 2011. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. That's still in the past. <laughs> no, well, yeah, but that's you'll see why that's very exciting. Well, so 2001. Yeah, 2001. Um, in 2001, it was my eighth grade year personally, and uh, it was life changing to say the least. I mean, mentally for me, it it took an entirely different turn than I ever expected. My I was in English class class. Actually I was in they called it literature class, right? I don't know if they still even call it that any anymore, but <laughs> I, anyways, don't, I don't know I felt I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been in school in forever, so I no, don't it's know. Just been a while. I mean Common Core, that's that stuff I never existed back in my day. But anyway, so I was in literature class and the teacher left and came back with a TV on wheels. Remember those? Yeah, I do. The TVs on wheels. They had to plug Big it in. TVs. Got the VCR, all that old school tech. And it was like strapped, remember? Oh, yeah. So it didn't <laughs> fall over if they tripped. And so she brought the TV in and we, we were all excited. Yeah, movie time. I, this is so random, but cool. And uh, sure enough, it wasn't a movie. It was she turned on the news and the Twin Tower. The first one was about to fall. And we were devastated. And by the, the time we saw the second tower fall, we were all in tears, everybody in the class. And our teacher had just mentioned we were being attacked. Now, we're in eighth grade and we're clueless at why we're being attacked and what's going to happen next. Because, I mean, our history classes teach us that war is not cool. And we've seen destruction and yeah. read about destruction of uh, countries and cities and millions of people dying. And so we were like, oh, no, this is not good. Well, after the tears and everything settled and and I was able to bring myself back to normal uh, mindset, I told myself I will join the army and I will fight for my country so that that never happens again. And of course, um, the army doesn't accept eighth graders, so <laughs> couldn't join right away. <laughs> so... I obviously had to wait until I graduated from high school. But the problem with that was that's four years yeah. of, well, four and a half if you include the rest of my eighth grade year. But that's a lot of time change from yeah. that thought process. Well, that's a lot of time to to say that, to decide that's something you want to do and then for it to yeah, to stay is yeah. something you wanted mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Now, that's actually to the question I was going to ask you is one, what was your what was your driving motive and did you want to go to war? And so yeah. well, evidently, you know, and I don't know if those that answers both of those. So one, your motive was because of what you saw, but did yeah. you have a desire to actually go to war? To oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have always had that uh, boiling blood, I guess you can say, inside of me to uh, be a fighter, to to um if there was anything or anyone trying to do evil or or do bad things to me myself my family my friends or this country i would not have one uh problem taking them out so it's i think that was instilled in me and uh it just i didn't realize how much of a fighter i was until uh the high school uh after high school actually so after high school okay yeah 
So, um, I'm trying to look at some other things. Um, and it's really more about getting into military, but in between that time, you know, going through high school, deciding, hey, I, I, I want to be in the military, I want to defend this country, like, what I saw, man, I just, I can't stand for that, I want to do something, but going into your teenage years and before you decided to join, were there obstacles that you had to overcome in order to, to actually get into the military? Were there things that made it difficult or, or hard, or was it easy to get in, or was it, were there things that you had to go through well, I mean, for some people, that's there are definitely <coughs> obstacles. Um, I mean, throughout high school, for example, I didn't even that thought of joining the military was never even in my brain. I'll tell you that for okay, it was not one second was my mindset of joining the military after high school, even though I would see the recruiters in the lunch cafeteria area where yeah. there were every now and then they'd be trying to bring in. Uh, recruits from high school or about to graduate never once it was all about girls and <laughs> it was completely the opposite of what i should have been so when you're my a young mindset. boy that was what you wanted to do but but then you, yeah <laughs> then high school hits and well i think that's that's all of us when we're young yeah, yeah. If, uh, for boys anyways girls are definitely the number one distraction like, yeah whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa you know? there's so many <laughs> yeah it so was crazy. You're in trouble, and then, uh-huh. then you got to figure out life after that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, did you? Um, and I know we can talk about kind of, you know, where life led you. Um, I don't know how young you were when you, um, married and all that. Did all that happen before military? During military? How, how during. Yeah. So you joined. So you joined the military, and how long were you in the military before you were uh, deployed? So I joined the military in 2008. Okay. And so that was just a couple years after um, I graduated high school. And um, during that time, I had been already with someone. And so we decided to uh, get married right after, shortly after joining the military because I had been called to Afghanistan. And that was the middle... When I was going to Afghanistan and I got that call from my unit saying, hey, we're finally deploying. Um, obviously, I was like, hey, want to get married? <laughs> and, uh, oh, just wow. like every dumb private that's in the army does. They're like, oh, well, if I'm deploying, I want to get married and make another $136 a month because I'm married. Because <laughs> we're already broke anyways while we're going over there to fight. So yeah. uh, we quickly got married in court. And didn't even tell her parents or anything like that. And then I shipped out to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. So there's more to that story, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's stuff you put in your book. Yeah. Probably more in detail. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So then, so you you were married, shotgun wedding, and then you (laughs) got on a plane to take a shotgun with you to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. Or really, M sixteen probably. Yeah, you know, like rifles better than <laughs> shoot farther. <laughs> <laughs> More bullets too. Yeah. Um, so, um, so you deploy to Afghanistan, and that was in same year, two thousand eight, right? Two thousand ten. I deployed to Afghanistan. Yeah. Okay, two thousand and ten. Um, so you're deploying. You're going to Afghanistan in twenty ten, and um, so you know that you're going to go. You get deployed. I'm sure it's a long flight. Yeah. Any thoughts that were going through your head as you're on the plane thinking, okay, 
I'm going to war. And, and for those of you listening right now, we have a lot of guys that are overseas, and it's not as um, big a threat, I guess, as it was then. But at the time you were going, it yeah, was hot. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on there, yeah. a lot of a lot of casualties, a lot of stuff happening daily. Um, with uh, and I don't know if it was Taliban then or yeah, insurgents or Iraqis or mixed shows Taliban mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, so that time you're on the plane ride, what are you, what are your thoughts at that time? As Excitement. What what were you excited about? Finally getting to take out the enemy. The from the very first first moment that I knew I was supposed to do this in eighth grade. Yeah. And. When I signed up and actually did it, I was like, this is exactly where I'm meant to be because no, I mean, no eighth grade kid has the idea of joining the military and fighting and protecting their country against what I just saw happen unless it's already instilled in them from birth, from God literally saying, this is what you're going to be doing. And so... Knowing that I was built for that, and then when I joined the military and went through basic and all that stuff, they built me even more for it, and I was excited and ready to go. And nothing, I honestly didn't think about anything back home, friends, family, loved ones, no matter what they were doing back home. My sole focus was I have a year in Afghanistan, and I'm going to do exactly what I need to do. And I'm sure there's a, there were, you were probably surrounded, well, you had to be on a plane surrounded with a bunch of other guys leaving home. And I'm sure there were different thoughts. Some guys probably didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. You, you have the guys that join the military because they want to get a college degree. You have yeah. guys that, you know, for the wrong reasons, you know, or they just joined because, you know, uh, dad did it. Or, you know, and then you have some that are just like, I want to serve my country. I, you know, um, yeah. and so there's, I'm sure there's a mixed bag of reasons. Oh yeah. There's They're a, all on the plane with you. Yeah. There's a hundred million reasons to join the military. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's their own personal choice. I mean, but look you, at the guys back in the day, they didn't even have a choice. They were like no, voluntold, yeah. Hey, you're, you're going to war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Here's a rifle and a ammo bag and a thing of water canteen. <laughs> Good yeah, luck. But, but as you're going and you're flying over there, and I'm sure you're talking about your excitement, yeah. could you see the faces of the other guys? Was there fear? Was there nervousness? Was there oh, yeah. anxiety? Could you see that oh, yeah. around you? There was a lot of, uh, I guess you can say, calmness, and okay. not necessarily the most, uh, like, oh, we're all 100% ready to do this calm, like, just right. relax. No, you can see some were nervous about what they're about to get into and stuff. And that's rightfully so because war is not a pretty thing it's not uh the civilians and everybody here back in the states they don't really understand and the news doesn't even uh do a good job of uh really showing what is going on in the war and half the time they make us look like bad guys anyways when we're not we're actually trying to help a country become free because they want to yeah and they're being overrun by ultimately gang members a big gang you know and so we're there to help them out and uh so the only thing that we're thinking of on the plane is we're gonna get shot we're gonna get blown up bad things are gonna happen we're at war we just really hope we make it home and so um then all of a sudden the plane starts flying all 
wild and crazy. Oh, really? Because what civilians and a lot of people don't realize is there's a thing called combat landing. I don't know what that is. So yeah. What, uh-huh. what is that for me and the rest of the listeners who don't know what that means? Uh, let's say if you like roller coasters, it's one of the coolest freaking experiences you'll ever get to experience, experience in the military. If you don't like roller coasters, you're most likely having a throw-up bag right next to you. Because, <laughs> that would be me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the throw-up guy. I'm the throw-up guy. Because the, the plane, what it does on a combat landing is it literally swerves to the left. If you can imagine, in the air, it's just just gliding to the left then it glides to the right then it centers back and then it takes an extreme nose dive to the ground and then it levels off and lands regularly and the reason why they do that is because a lot of the times the taliban or whoever are trying to attack and shoot at the planes from the mountains or whatever and they're trying to uh, divert away from the bullets flying around so it's intense it was the coolest experience. Uh, uh, I felt like uh, like in a movie where the A-team is dropping out of the sky kind of thing. <laughs> it was it was incredible for me, but not so much for some of the other guys on the plane. Yeah, I puked my guts up. Yeah. That's for sure. So <laughs> it was interesting. And then as we land, uh, of course, they welcome us to war. <laughs> then the back of the plane drops down. We were in, a, I believe, a C-17 or a C-130. And as soon as that the tail drops and the Afghan desert weather rushes in with the wind and punches us in the face with a sandstorm, we're like, okay, we're not in Green Bay, Wisconsin anymore. <laughs> you weren't walking or like in slow the, motion? Oh, like, there's you no. You know, like in the movies? It was definitely slow motion because you could barely breathe as you were leaving the plane. It was so hot and sand just hitting you everywhere and. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. And then they're just telling you it was kind of for a few seconds there. It was kind of like basic training all over again because they're the, everything's so loud. The planes and helicopters and everything going on. And they're like, go to the leather, yelling at you, just get out of the <laughs> out of the way. And so we're just getting all of our stuff and just getting off the tarmat, and it's crazy. I mean, just looking around, you're just in awe you're i've never seen anything like this before i'm literally a city boy who well partially farm i grew up a little bit on a farm but mostly <laughs> city and all of a sudden i look around and there's nothing except for sand and sand mountains and, <laughs> more, sand. and more sand like <laughs> i'm like what is going on so it was a culture shock just the moment i got off the plane it was intense so, so you get off the plane, you, um, you're taking all this in, um, and so, you know, not to fast forward too much, but kind of a little bit, um, you know, so talking about, you know, the whole thing that kind of brought you to where you were now, before we get to that, um, so we're, we're talking about obviously the, the, uh, ID, um, but before that happened, how long were you out there in, I guess, in tour, uh, or your is that what you call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, tour. So on your tour, how long were you out there before, you know, the the IED? Like, how long had you been out there? Uh, we landed in October, and I was, uh, the IED that actually took me out was July 2nd. So, what is that, eight months, something like that? Yeah, about eight months. Yeah. yeah around eight months. 
so eight months you're there. I'm I'm sure that by eight months you've kind of adjusted to being there, kind of gotten oh, yeah. used to the way things are going. Probably got used to eating the food over there, and yeah, probably had routines now that you had. Probably had developed some deep relationships with people. Did you um, um during that time frame when you were again assuming developing friendships relationships? Did you have anybody prior to yourself where, you know, something happened to them with a loss of life or, you know, they, you know, or, or, um, they got wounded and had to go back. Did you, did you witness that with friends, um, during that eight months? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, um, we, so just for the audience to know what I did over there, um, because you already do know, uh, I was a, what's called a 12 Bravo combat engineer. And I searched for the bombs and cleared the routes. So nobody else went to do their thing until we made sure the routes were safe. Um, So we got blowed up a lot. And um, I saw quite a few buddies injured after explosions that we hit. Um, And then, oddly enough, it wasn't even on our route clearance missions, but... Uh, one of my good friends, Justin Ross, was shot and killed by a sniper. And that actually changed me as a person. Um, so from that moment, I had a lot of anger. And I started preparing myself and my family back home had no idea what I was doing because I wouldn't tell them. But I was preparing myself to actually... Uh, stay in Afghanistan and continue fighting until I died because I had so much anger because of agency experience and losing yeah one of your one of your good friends yeah and this and this happened before your incident this was March yeah it happened March 26 2011 and is he the one that you always wore the bra- bra- mm-hmm. the bracelet yeah for? okay yeah. I remember so I think yeah I've heard this you've told me about him yeah um and you've talked to his family and stuff. Oh, yeah. Reach out to them. Yeah. I actually, um, a little side note, uh, since then, I believe it was last year. Or no, just kidding. It was this February 2019. Uh, I performed a concert in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and he was also from uh, that area. And so his parents came to the concert because I was specifically uh, asked them to. I wrote a song. Does it... Um, no, I don't want to say designated, but uh, in honor, dedicated. dedicated, that's the word I'm looking for, dedicated to Justin Ross. And so um, I performed that song for the very first time at that concert, and it was intense. <laughs> yeah. That's good that you're, I mean, able to um, take that and, and be able to, you know, because um, a lot of times we, we talk about, like, you know, and this for the audience, like, you know, in the show here, you talk about like my uh, and, and you experience also kind of um, where I'm going with this, but you know my um, I don't know truly what this is my experience you know with my father and mm-hmm. and losing him to suicide and um, and just the struggle with um, that the uh, the stuff that I saw you know I found him you know the blood the, the all the the, the you know, and again, I, I always said I don't get into too graphic right. of it, the details on that, but those are things that stay with you, you know, and, and you, you, it's like you can't erase it from your mind. Like, it's there, and you, you have to learn to kind of 
cope with that and live with that and and, and a lot of people struggle yeah um and so i can imagine um i have a, a cousin i talked about her a couple episodes back my cousin april um she's a senior master sergeant in the, in the air force and um in the medical field and she's told me and i'm sure you, you can relate she said there's just things that you know that that they see over there that you guys you know see that you know we we have no idea we can't even imagine and so <clears throat> thinking about the things that I've seen and that I deal with and that have altered my state of mind and changed me, I can't even imagine, you know, over there, the things that happen. And so that's why I kind of wanted to cover that for the audience to listen. You know, and we'll talk about the, the amount of soldiers that we lose because of just the mind that we have and so finite and being able to handle and deal with the struggles and so yeah um, thank you for mentioning your your friend um justin and yeah i and, just uh, i think it's great that that you're doing something for his memory and, yeah well that's uh not to get too off topic topic but that's exactly what i tell any military man or women that uh have served and have definitely been overseas and fought because uh Losing loved ones, losing brothers and sisters in arms like that is extremely tough. So I always encourage them to not to dive into uh, what everyone calls PTSD and allow that to torture them and haunt them for the rest of their lives. Uh, What I do now is I live as best a life I possibly can because of their sacrifice. I don't torture my brain and my thoughts and my dreams and everything because um oh why him why not me why this why that and all the dumb questions that will never be answered no he's gone and i understand that i still miss him and wish he was here but i'm gonna live this life to the fullest because of his sacrifice and all those who have sacrificed for us and so i encourage every everybody to honestly live that way because there's people that don't get to live this life anymore. Yeah. They don't get to do the things that they enjoyed before, the things that we still get to enjoy and the life we get to live because they're gone. Yeah. So the chances are over. And so yeah. It's up to us. Yeah. We can't live in negativity because then that renders their sacrifice completely useless. Yeah. That means they died for nothing because we're over here walloping in sadness and depression and pills and silly things that we shouldn't be. We should be honoring them with a great life. Well said. Um, so, because I don't have anything to add to that, that's, that's well said. <laughs> um, so, kind of going back to, um, and, and again, thank you for sharing his, his story. And so, if those of you that didn't, I'm sure there's memorials and stuff out there. And again, you guys can follow Justin. We give his information later and, and find out more about got a book coming out there'll be more details about that in there too i'm sure yeah um but um getting back to so eight months you're there um so what was the day like prior just like any other day or the day of you're you're going um was this a planned mission when this happened or what 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 were the circumstances surrounding um the event was this the like normal standard mission you go on every day because you said you searched and cleared the bombs or or what uh, kind of describe how that how yeah. they happened. So every every mission prior to July second, we would do uh, route what's called route clearance, 
and we would only do that once for each route. Okay, so uh, prime example, there was a couple routes. Uh, we would do about three, four, sometimes five routes a day, and we would only drive and clear that route of IEDs one time during the day. So that being said, July 2nd comes around. FYI, that's my day off. So, yeah, so I shouldn't have been on mission, but what ended up happening was my platoon sergeant comes into the tent and wakes us all up and says, hey, we actually need more soldiers for the mission um, because today is a different, a special kind of mission that we're doing. So we need more guys who wants to volunteer. And I was like, well, I'll go. The mall's closed, so... There's no mall in Afghanistan. No, there's a mall. The movie theater's closed. No, and no, I'm just there's so no got, movie you theater. You got me and most of the listeners <laughs> have no idea. Right? Like, oh, that's well, cool. Uh, I was gonna go to Armani Exchange, but they weren't open. Uh, <laughs> no, so obviously I wasn't really doing much over there. That's kind of the reason we're there is to do our job. So I volunteered, and I got my stuff ready, and we went on. Uh, the trucks and left the base. The reason why everything was so different that day was because in the morning we were required to go and clear route Red Stripe. That's the name of the route that was one of the most dangerous routes in the entire area. And so we were required to clear that route first thing in the morning. But weirdly enough, we had to come back later that afternoon and do it again. The same this, yeah, so we went and did other routes, and we came back to Route Red Stripe, and we cleared it again. The reason why that was so weird and different was because there were some big wigs, some high-up officers, and who who knows who else was coming through that route. So they wanted us to double-check to make sure it was good to go. So we've never done that before, and we were like, okay, well, doesn't seem sketchy to me, so we kept on... That, that was what we had to do. Okay. Well, we leave the base. <clears throat> we get onto Route Red Stripe for the very first time. And boom. The truck right in front of me gets blown up. Everybody was okay. Uh, inside the truck, the truck obviously is totaled every time we get blown up. So what ended up happening was the soldiers that were inside the, sh- the truck, they were... A little rattled so the medic had to attend to them and while that was all going on there we radioed back to our base and asked for what's called qrf which is the quick reaction force they brought out another truck that could replace it with another crew and some haulers that would haul the truck that got blown up uh on. yeah like okay. so it's a massive semi truck if you will and they were able to put that destroyed truck on top of it on the bed and haul it back to the base so the new crew and the new truck joined our uh, little route clearance package there that we had and we continued our mission at this point did they take the lead spot or did y'all become the lead no 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 i was so there was about i want to say six or six trucks in the whole entire convoy Okay. And that, they were the truck in front of me, which means they were the second to last truck. I was in the very last truck oh, wow. of the convoy. Now, in the morning, I was on the gun up in the turret. That was normally where I was 
percent of my missions. So uh, I was up in the gun. Well, when the blast happened and everything was uh, getting cleared up and taken care of, my driver asked to switch spots. So instead of being up in the turret, I was I switched and I said, "Yeah, that's fine," and I went to the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, we left, continued our missions, covered the other routes, and we came back to Route Red Stripe later that afternoon. For the third time? The second time. The second Sorry. and final time, yeah. Oh, okay. And so, as we were coming back on, everything around the little area that next to the road was empty again. No civilians that were there walking around, nothing quiet. We were like, okay, well, this is not normal. What is going on? They had enough time while we were gone covering the other routes, the Taliban did. They had enough time to put a bigger, stronger IED in the same hole we were just blown up in and cover it and bury it again. They were, they knew we were coming back. I don't know how they knew we were coming back. Or maybe they just put it there to wait and see. I have no idea. But... We're coming back, and they pick my truck, and they press the trigger, and it blows up right underneath my truck. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening in. Uh, There's so much more to this story um, right at the point where he's going to begin to talk about um, this explosion and everything that happens after. I promise you, you don't want to miss the rest of this story. Please tune in next week, next Wednesday. We'll have the part two of this series. Share, share, share. Get his story out there. Don't forget he's writing a book and so much more to come. But please get the story out there. Thank you, guys. Stay tuned next week for more What's What's Next. next.